Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. As uh, Pastor EJ said, we get a chance to start out a brand new series, and I'm uh, fired up for it. It's called The Forgotten Virtue, and it causes me to think about those moments. Uh, maybe you've experienced this before. Have you ever left your house, started your day out, got uh, uh, pretty far away from home, headed to work or some other engagement, only to realize that you forgot something that was critical, vital, and important back at home? How many have ever experienced that? I'll be honest with you, nothing causes me more anxiety or makes me feel more uneasy than that feeling I get when I'm headed to the office or some other engagement. About halfway there, I reach for my wallet only to realize that I left it at home. And now what do I do? And ladies, I'm sure you can relate to this. If you think back to those stressful moments, maybe on a trip or maybe you're out of town and you lost your purse. And I don't know what it is about a lady's purse, but they're able to keep everything in that purse. Everything pertaining to life and godliness is kept in that purse. As a matter of fact, I've been married for 23 years now and I still don't have access to my wife's purse. It's like Fort Knox in there. Maybe after 30 years, I might get a security pass to get in. But we know what it's like to be on a journey or uh, to be on a trip and to lose something that is vitally important to us. And you think about uh, the critical things that you need for the rest of your journey and you don't have it. And it causes you to uh, kind of have anxiety or stress. And maybe even more stressful than losing your wallet or your purse is the separation anxiety we feel in this generation when we lose our cell phones. Have you ever experienced that where you are like uh, miles away from your last appointment only to realize that you left your cell phone there? And let's be honest, our cell phones in this generation are maybe our greatest tool for interacting and functioning in the world. There are wallets now, our GPS systems, there are personal assistants, there certainly are cure for boredom and uh, maybe the most important item that we have. And it is nothing uh, more stressful than to know that, man, I can't function because I need something that is vitally important. And I hate leaving or forgetting these things. And it typically happens for me when I'm distracted when I've allowed the pressures or the busyness of my morning or my day to distract me and keep my attention from what's important. But here's the question. What do you do in those moments? What do you do when you are miles away from your previous appointment and you realize you've forgotten your wallet or your purse or you lost or left your cell phone or something else that is vitally important? Well, if you're smart and wise, no matter the inconvenience or the distance, you stop what you're doing and you go back and get it. Why am I bringing this up? It's because 2020 was a year that was full of distractions. And for many of us, it took our eyes off of what was important and we forgot some things along the way. Now there was enough stress to distract any of us, even the best of us. I don't have to enumerate all of it, but we all know the tensions of the economic stress that was in 2020 or the political polarization or the social unrest. You just name it, it was all there. 
And unfortunately, along the way, as you look at our broader culture, uh, a lot of us forgot some pretty vital things that are absolutely critical for God's purpose and God's plan for us, for God's journey for us. Maybe at the top of the list of the things that we forgot in 2020 uh, was how to love. How to love. I mean, as we look at our broader culture, what we would have to admit, an honest assessment, is that there was not an increase last year of charitableness among people. No, the opposite happened. Did anybody notice that there was an increase last year of uh, bitterness among people, distrust among people, hostility, uh, vitriol, suspicion, all of these things were on the rise. All of these things were increasing. And I wish I could tell you that the church was exempt, but the reality is, is that we're not exempt. All of us have experienced that. And along the way, if we're not careful, we'll forget all that the Bible has to teach us about how to love God, how to love one another, how to love our neighbors, and yes, friends, even how to love our enemies. The Bible has some pretty weighty things to say about love. And it's all vital. It is the most important virtue. As a matter of fact, it's so important, more important than purse or wallet or cell phone. It is so important that we can't continue God's purpose, plan, or our journey without going back and learning how to love again if we've forgotten how to love. First Peter 4 and 8 puts it this way. Uh, Peter says, love one another. Above all, he says, love one another earnestly. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we've all read this love chapter where Paul basically says that none of our spiritual activity, no matter how much money we give, how much service we give, has any value if it is not undergirded by love, if we have forgotten how to love. So that's why I'm so excited about this series because over the next several weeks, we're going to revisit select passages of scripture so that we can see what the Bible teaches about love. But what do you do if you've forgotten how to love? Well, Revelation chapter two, can you turn there uh, real quickly? Revelation chapter two, verses four and five gives us a glimpse of what we should do. This is John writing to the church at Ephesus and he says, but I have this against you. Here's the charge against them, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. They had started in love, but somewhere along the lines, their heart had gotten cold or cynical or bitter, and life has a way of doing that to you. You start off life naive and innocent, and then the next thing you know, the more you're exposed to the sinfulness of a fallen world, the more you realize uh, how dangerous the world can be. And if you're not careful, the spirit of the world will get in you. And so what does he tell them? He says, remember therefore, verse number five, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And then he goes on to give them a warning if they don't. But, but this actually should bring us joy. That word repent is a really good word because what it means is that although judgment is looming or at the door knocking, there's still time. Although there's something dangerous if you keep going this direction without making correction, there is still time for you to go back. And, and what repent actually encourages us to do is to actually do an about face, go back and get the thing that we forgot. And in this context, and in our context, it is love. 
So let's look at what the Bible has to say about love. What we're gonna do over the next several weeks is journey through 1 John. So turn there with me to 1 John. You can study along with us, as Pastor EJ mentioned earlier, because we're gonna be here for the next six weeks. And we're gonna look at select passages of 1 John. Today, we're gonna look at 1 John chapter 2, verses three through 11. And what we're gonna learn is this, is to know God is to love him. That's to say that no serious conversation about love can start without us first focusing on God. The love that we receive from him is the love that we have to offer to others. But in order for us to have like proper context on the passage we're gonna focus in on today, there's two things you need to know about John. First is what his purpose was in writing this letter. Why did he write it in the first place? And then secondly, what was the the occasion? What was the situation that provoked him to pen the particular passage that we're about to focus in on? First, the purpose. Look at chapter one, verses three and four. He tells us the purpose, and the purpose is summed up in one word, and that is fellowship. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. If you were to ask John, who's speaking on his behalf and on behalf of the apostles, what their greatest joy was, it was seeing people come into fellowship with God, seeing people who didn't have fellowship come to have fellowship with God. It was as if John was saying that we've been so transformed by his love, his life, his light, that we want our neighbors, our family members, our friends to experience the transforming grace of Jesus. How many have great joy in seeing the people you love come to know Christ? How many have great longing in your heart to see your neighbors come to know Christ? How many have great joy when you hear people around the world, even distant lands, coming to know Jesus? That should be the, yeah, that's a great time to shout. That's a great time for you to shout. All my shouters in the room, right? That, that should be our greatest joy. Like, I don't know what you got under the Christmas tree. I, I pray that you got whatever was on your wish list, but there is nothing in those boxes that could be greater than people experiencing the salvation that comes from Christ alone. And there's so many people in our community, in our culture, even in our families that are so distant from the love of Jesus. Now, John, when he writes this, you notice that it's a multi-sensory, full-bodied experience. He says that which we have heard, which we have seen, he's touched, he's, he's experienced. He's not writing as a pen pal. He's not writing as somebody who has heard about Jesus. No, he's a firsthand eyewitness of Jesus. He said, we We've experienced him, and we want this same experience that transformed our lives to be experienced by our children, to be experienced by our neighbors, to be experienced by all the world so that God might be praised. And I pray that that would be the heartbeat of Woodside, that we would be a church that takes great joy in seeing people come to know Christ. How many have that heartbeat today? But what we're gonna notice is that uh, John writes the passage we're gonna look at today almost as a warning. 
He's guarding them against this doubt that is starting to set in. He wants them to know that they have good standing with God because doubt has begun to creep in. Has anybody ever experienced a season where doubt began to creep in about your relationship with God? A season where maybe you even begin to question your salvation, if he loved you, if he saw you, if you were in fellowship with him. Well, this is exactly what this group of believers were experiencing, and why were they experiencing it? Well, the answer is found in verse number 19 of chapter two, uh, and what we see is that there had been a great schism in the church, there had been a great split. There was a group of people who had left the fellowship. And you know, nothing rocks a church like a group of people leaving. And in every generation, even in our day, again, we're not exempt from this, you will see people who will leave the church, sometimes large groups of people. The Bible even tells us that that's gonna be a part of the end times. But here's what John says about it, verse number 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. What was uh, maybe most frightening is that there was a group of people who were deeply entrenched in the fellowship that had not really come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This isn't a testimony of those who knew Jesus and lost their salvation. No, this is a story of people who were in the fellowship but didn't know Jesus. Just because you're in the church doesn't mean that you have allowed the grace of God to be at work in you. That happens by true faith in Christ. And so they broke off, but even worse than just breaking off, they began to uh, propagate false teaching. They began to boldly proclaim things that contradicted the gospel, and this is where an apostle, this is where a teacher of God's word, this is where we have to step up and have to speak out to defend the gospel. Our job is to defend the gospel, and so John takes up this job of defending the gospel, and he wants to debunk some myths and to set the record straight. The big picture of this whole thing is this, is to know God is to love him. But how do we know that we know him? How do we know that we have a relationship with him? This is what this church wanted to know. This is what this group of believers wanted to know. How do we know we have right standing with him, that we actually have this blessed assurance? Well, two ways he gives. He takes it from the emotional, from the sentimental. So many, when we talk about love, all we think is emotionalism, warm and fuzzies, and Hallmark movies. There's more to it than that. Love is a very practical thing, and John wants to make it very practical. So for those of you who are hyper-romanticized, please forgive the next six weeks. But the first thing he says is, in verses three through six, is to love him, is to obey him. Notice what he says. Verse number three. And by, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
It, it, one of the ways that you can come to the proper interpretation of any passage is to look for reoccurring words or themes or phrases. And if you were to do that type of literary approach to these verses, what would stand out is John's passion around knowledge. He deeply wants them to know something. And what is it that he says he wants them to know? He says, by this we know that we have come to know him. He wants them to know that they know him. In other words, he not only wants them to have salvation, but he wants them to know that they have salvation. He not only wants them to have a relationship with God, he wants them to have confidence that they have that relationship with God. We often sing this hymn, Blessed Assurance, but so many believers don't have that blessed assurance. They live with this insecurity. Does God love me? Am I saved? Do I know him? And what John says is, no, you shouldn't ever question the love of God. If you have put your faith in Christ, you should have confidence John wants them to have confidence that they know that they know him. But how do we have that type of boldness that when we stand before God, that we know that we're gonna be accepted into his love? Well, he gives us a test. And what is that test? If we keep his commandments, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. It doesn't sound too romantic, it's pretty practical, but it is the exact litmus test for how you know that you are in relationship with God if you keep his commandments. And I don't think that John here is talking about perfection because uh, newsflash, none of us are perfect. All of us have blown it. How many blow it every day by the show of hands? And if you're not raising your hand, we'll have prayer for you after service. All of us blow it every single day in word, in deed, in thought. We all make mistakes. We're all sinners. We all need the grace of God. He's not so much talking about perfection as much as he's talking about direction, heart intent, passion. It is a passion. You know that you have come to know him when your passion is to obey him. When your passion is to know his word and to keep his word. Notice what he says. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandment. That word keep in the Greek is tereo. And, and that word means to guard something that is valuable or treasured. How do you see his commandments? Do you see his commandments as a treasure, as something that is valuable, not as oppressive, not as something that has come to steal our joy or to rain on our parade? No, God gives us commandments so that we might experience life and that more abundantly. He wants us to experience true flourishing. He doesn't want us to fall for the fool's gold of this world or this culture. And so he invites us to know his commandments, because his commandments are not burdensome or grievous, but they produce life. And when we value them and treasure them and guard them, then we know that we've come to know him. How many value God's word and, and see it as a true treasure, a true gift? Do you know that every time you open up your Bible, you are opening up the living word of God? Not just some great literary historical document that's wonderful for Western culture, 
You know, a few years ago, I was invited, uh, I, was a, I was in higher education at the time, and I was invited to do this leadership initiative at Harvard, and one of the first courses that I had to take was taught by this long-tenured professor in literature who uh, 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 taught us uh, for several weeks uh, through some Old Testament passages, and what became very clear from the first day of class is that while she admired Scripture as something that had literary value that was powerful for the history of Western culture and thought she had not one ounce of faith or belief that it was actually true. And you can imagine the uh, tension between her and I for the rest of that course and that class as, as I tried to argue that this is more than just a good literary piece. This is the word of the living God, and by it do we come to know him and experience his salvation. How many thank God for his word? Don't ever cheapen it. Don't ever minimize it. Treasure it. He says, keep it. Uh, pr protected, guarded as something that is valuable. It causes me to think of the psalmist in Psalm 119 who says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's that precious. It's that valuable to me. Then in verse number four, uh, he, you can clearly see by the time we get to verse number four that John is rebuking the false teaching that is now beginning to spread. Look at what he says. He's pretty blunt here. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, let me just give you a little bit of context about the personality of John. Each one of the gospel writers, each one of the apostles brings personality to their writing style. John's personality is that he's pretty blunt, he's pretty black and white, no nonsense. If you're looking for somebody writing with a soft pen, look at another text. If you're looking for somebody who's uh, diplomatic, nuanced, uh, that's gentle, don't turn to John. John is one of those people in your life that's just gonna tell it just like it is. How many had those people in your life? Right, you love them and you hate them at the same time. John is gonna tell you in black and white, you are either in the light or you're in darkness. You're either in faith or you're not in faith. And I will tell you, those people are hard to have in your life, but you need those types of people because they will keep you from wasting your time. And what John does not want you or I to have is a false sense of confidence that we're actually in a relationship with Christ when we're not. Nothing is more dangerous than to think that you know him when you don't. If you wanna get a glimpse of this, read Matthew chapter seven and around verse 21, most sobering passage of scripture, I think in all the New Testament, says many on that day will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name or do many mighty works in your name? Anybody ever read this passage, right? We went to church, we did all these wonderful acts of service. He's gonna say what? Depart from me, for I never knew you. I don't want that to happen to you. And as a pastor, uh, like John, I think it's uh, our responsibility to shoot straight with you. And so here's what he says. If you meet a Christian or someone who proclaims to be a Christian, if you meet a teacher or someone who proclaims to be a teacher, and they want to convince you that you can know God but not keep his commandments, that you can know God but live a lifestyle that is contradictory to his teachings, they're a liar. 
that the truth is not in them. In other words, you will know the tree by its fruit. I know this, and all preachers should know this, that the loudest sermon we will ever preach will be our lifestyles. And so he goes on in verse number five, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, this perfected is the Greek word telos, which doesn't mean perfection in the sense of flawlessness. It means the end goal of a thing, the ultimate maturation of a thing. He's saying if you keep his commandments, then you know that the love of God is mature in you. But if you live a lifestyle that is contradictory to the word, I mean, literally the simple thing about the Christian life is you look at the Bible and you ask yourself a simple question, is what hap happening in me, is that what's happening in the lives of those who believed in him and the word of God? And if what happens in their life is different than what's happening in my life, then I need to evaluate, am I really in him? How did they respond to him when they came to know him? How were they changed? What were their passions and their love? Do I see that in me? And if my lifestyle is different, then maybe I don't know him, which is a good revelation to come to because if you don't, it's not too late to get to know him. How many thank God for his love? Verse number six, he moves, he moves to oughtness. In verse number six, he says this, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, he should be your model, your example. Yes, Jesus is Savior of the world, the unique Son of God, but he is our role model, our example. And so if, if I am in him, if I truly have come to know him, then my goal is to live like he lived. I want to be generous like Jesus. I want to be gracious like him. I want to love like him if I'm really in him. So, so how did he walk? I'm glad you asked. Verses 7 through 11 gives us the primary virtue in which he exhibited and that was love for people. To know God is to love his people. Look at verse seven. It says, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment. Now that's strange that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Paul, uh, John here rather, seems to use a wordplay that seems uh, paradoxical or contradictory on the surface. He says, I'm giving you an old commandment. It's not a new commandment, but then later on he says it is a new commandment. So which one is it, John? Is it old or is it new? And he says yes to both. And so in what way is the commandment old and in what way is the commandment new? Well, first, we need to examine what is the commandment. And the commandment is very clear, my friends. It is that we are to love one another. 
This is the commandment. The commandment is summed up in this. Isn't this what Jesus said when he was tested by teachers of the law, which is the greatest commandment? And he gave them two for one. And the answer was simply to love God in essence with all of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. All of it, all of the 613 commandments of the Old Testament, all of the law is summed up in this command. How do we know that this is the command that they heard? Well, he says this is, this is an old commandment, and in what way is it old? Well, the answer is pretty clear, and uh, if you just turn over one chapter to chapter three, verse 11, he tells us in what way it's old. He says, for this is the message, in chapter three, verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. That's, that's how it's old. It is, it is the very foundation of the gospel. When he says from the beginning here, he's not so much talking about the beginning of creation uh, or even the beginning of the Bible or the beginning of God's work. He's talking about the beginning of the gospel being proclaimed. What he is saying is that from the very beginning, from the very start, what we have warned and encouraged in you is that your confidence in knowing that you know him is gonna be evidenced by how you love how you love him, how you love one another, how you love your neighbor, how you love your enemies. So let's evaluate that for just a moment. How are we doing at love? And the warning in all of this is that there are constantly encroachments that come to undermine and short-circuit our love for one another, my friends. And this, make no mistake about it, is the greatest witness, the greatest evangelistic tool that the church has. It's not our billboards, flyers, or marketing department. It's not our websites or our buildings. The greatest tool we have to reach the world is the love we have for one another. When when they see us sacrificing for one another, caring for one another, in particular across ethnic lines, generational lines, geographical lines, and we love one another in spaces in which the broader culture cannot, what an awesome witness that is. But the converse is true as well. How in the world can we tell those who are outside of church, be reconciled to God if we can't be reconciled to one another? This love is constantly being threatened, and one of the greatest threats for us, in particular in our day, but it's been true for humanity throughout the generations, is earthly associations and affiliations. Be careful about that. Be careful about what groups you identify with or you join or you link yourself up with because those groups can begin to draw your affiliation deeper to those outside of the faith than those inside of the faith. And the next thing you know, you're identifying by some earthly group association that's found nowhere in the Bible that has nothing to do with the advancement of the gospel. And we are at war with one another because of our earthly affiliation. Our heart has to be primarily covenanted to God. Does that mean that we have no earthly associations? No, that just means that all of them fall secondary to our covenant with God and our love for one another. Let nothing encroach upon that. Well, in what way is this commandment new? 
Well, it's new in that it is new and fresh in Christ. It is not old the way we think of oldness. Oftentimes, when we use the word old, it is with this misnomer that old means obsolete or outdated or no longer useful. What John wants us to know is that, no, this is still fresh. This is still relevant. Why? Because in Christ, the darkness is passing away. The light is shining in our hearts and to the world. And when we put our faith in him, that light comes comes in us and shines through us to the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. Many of us were gathered together on Christmas Eve in this building or even in our home, and one of the great things about Christmas Eve gatherings is when the lights dim and the candle lighting ceremony begins. And that candle represents the light of Christ. And it's beautiful how one light begins to spread. And next thing you know, the whole room is lit. This is how the gospel is spread, as we love one another. But what John wants us to know is that we're fooling ourselves if we say we love God, but we don't love one another. It doesn't mean that we can't challenge one another with the truth. Sometimes love is, love is tender. Sometimes love is tough. But what it does mean is that we remain committed to one another through it all. And my friends, if that's the type of community we create inside of the local church, if we create a covenant community that is deeply committed to serving sacrificially, to knowing one another, praying for one another, caring for one another, then that love will emanate from us to the world and people will enter into fellowship with God and our joy, just like the apostles, will be filled. And so today, let me just invite you into that fellowship. If today you do not know this love, this love that changes everything, how many have had your life totally transformed by the love of God for the good? How many have had that? How many have had him rock your world for the good with his love? If you don't know this love and grace, you can know it today. Turn from your sins. Turn from leaving your life apart from him and just simply invite him to be Lord of all. And no matter what you've done, his grace is powerful enough to forgive it and make all things new. And so I'll encourage you, if you're in this room, as soon as this service is over, if you want a relationship with Jesus to renew it, to start a new year off in Christ, then come running to the front. There'll be friends that'll be here to pray with you. If you're watching online, we love you. Just type connect right now so that we can connect with you and you can experience God's grace and God's love. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We are so grateful for your mercy towards us. Thank you that you loved us first that your love first reaches to us and then through us. Thank you for sending Jesus, for dying for our sins, for offering us grace and mercy. May we live in light of your love and may that love be shed throughout our community by your church until all have heard in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.